would you consider to be your greatest need? Some listening might say that your greatest need is a physical situation. Maybe you've been diagnosed with cancer or you're having some other physical problem. And so for you, your greatest need is physical healing. Others listening today would say, well, no, for me, my greatest need is financial. Maybe you've lost your job or maybe you're just going through a hard time financially. And so for you right now, your need, your greatest need in your mind is a financial need. Others would say, no, for me, my greatest need is in the area of relationships. Maybe you've just been through a painful breakup or you're alone or you're just lonely at this time. And so as you think about your life and even as you look at your own prayers, the fact is you spend a lot of your time praying for God to bring somebody into your life so that you wouldn't be alone. And so for you, your greatest need uh, seems to be a relational need. Others would say, no, uh, for you, your greatest need might be an emotional need. In other words, maybe you're just bound up with all kind of emotional issues right now. Maybe fear has you paralyzed. Maybe you're having anxiety attacks or panic attacks and you just almost feel afraid to even leave the house. Leave the house. And so for you, you would say that your greatest need is, is an emotional need like that. Well, the fact is all of us have needs and the needs that I've mentioned may include you today, or you may have another category of need that you're struggling with right now. My name's John Redmond. I'm the associate pastor at First Baptist Church in Pasadena, Texas. And today on our program, Peace by Believing, we're going to be thinking about how to get our needs met. And the fact is, it really doesn't matter what the need is. The process of getting our needs met is very similar. In fact, in some ways, it's the same. And so on today's program, we're going to be thinking about not only how to get our needs met, like our physical needs or our financial needs or our emotional needs or our relational needs. I want to speak briefly today about that. But then I want us to think even more about how to get our greatest need met. You may never have thought about it, but your greatest need is not physical, financial, relational, or emotional. Your greatest need is spiritual. And so is mine. When God made us, He made us with a, with a hole in our hearts, with an empty place that only He can fill. The great theologian from a long time ago said it this way. He was praying one day and he said this to God. He said, God, you have made us for yourself and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in you. And today, maybe that's where you are. You're there with a restless heart in your car, in your house, traveling, wherever you might be, your heart is restless. And in your mind, you think, well, if I could just have a physical breakthrough, or if God would bring somebody into my life, or if, if I just had a better job, or if I had more money, or if, if I didn't have all these emotional things going on, then I would be okay. Well, all those issues are important, and God can meet all of those needs. But what I'm saying is this, the most important need we have is spiritual. And the only person who can fill that empty place in our heart is Jesus Christ. I'm praying that today's program will be a blessing to you. And I'm praying that whatever need you might have, that God would use this program today to help meet that need in your life. I have good news and bad news. The good news is my heart is full. 
Now, that's good news because you want the preacher's heart to be full before he starts preaching. The bad news is I think it's going to take about an hour and a half to get my heart emptied out and preach everything I want to say today. I remember several years ago, we were still in the other building in the, uh, what's now the Grace Center, and one Sunday night I had preached 12, 15 minutes too long, and I knew it was too long. I felt badly about it. I mean, I knew I went over. And Dad and I were walking out of the sanctuary that night, and he knew I felt bad, and he patted me on the back. He said, John... I enjoyed both of those sermons tonight. So in the spirit of that, I want to preach you two sermons today, and the first sermon is really short. In the first sermon, I want to talk to you about how to get your needs met. The fact is, all across the room today, people have needs. Some have physical needs. You need to be healed. Others have financial or emotional needs. Maybe you need a job. Maybe you have a spiritual need or a mental need even. If you'll take your bulletin, I want to show you three steps that you can take to get your needs met. Step number one, throw yourself on the mercy of God. Throw yourself on the mercy of God. That's what we have to do when we have a need. Just whether you get down on your knees or in some other position, you just tell God that need and throw yourself on His mercy, asking Him to come through for you. Step number two, do what you can. Do what you can. Just because we put something in God's hands, that doesn't mean that in every instance, we're supposed to just sit back and do nothing. I have a friend in the church who was diagnosed with cancer a few months ago, and, and, uh, I was, and she has thrown herself on God's mercy. She's put that in God's hands, but she called me on Friday, and she was telling me about her treatments at MD Anderson. In other words, she's doing what she can as she has cast herself on God's mercy. And then the third step, the third thing to do if you have a need today, wait on God. God does not always meet our needs immediately. He doesn't always solve the problem as soon as we say amen. Sometimes we have to wait on God. So those are the three steps. If you'll take those, you can have your needs met. Throw yourself on the mercy of God, do what you can, and wait on God. Now, that took about a minute and a half. How did you like sermon number one? Wasn't that concise and right to the point? Oh, you're clapping because you want all the sermons to be that way. Well, let's move on to sermon number two. Hopefully it won't be too long, but it'll be a little bit longer than that. Open your Bibles today to Ruth chapter three. I want to talk to you about how to have your greatest need met. Did you know that your greatest need is not physical healing? Your greatest need is not a better job. Your greatest need is not more money. If you're single today, your greatest need is not a spouse. All those things are important, but those aren't your greatest needs. Your greatest need is to be closer to God than you have ever been in all of your life. That's my greatest need. Our greatest need is not physical or emotional. Our greatest need is spiritual. And in Ruth chapter 3, we're going to learn about that today. Now, For the last two Sunday mornings, we've been studying in the book of Ruth. We'll complete this next Sunday morning. But the book of Ruth, as you read through it, there is an obvious story. There's a narrative here. And if you're going to know the book of Ruth, you have to know what happened. In a nutshell, it goes like this. A long time ago, there was a man named Elimelech who lived in Bethlehem. His wife was named Naomi, and they had two sons. Well, it happened that a famine came on the land there in Bethlehem. There was no food to eat. And so Elimelech took his wife, took their sons, and they left Bethlehem, and they went to a country called Moab. There was food in Moab. You may think, well, what's the big deal about that? He left a place where there was no food to go to a place where there was food. Well, the problem with his decision is he didn't pray about it. 
God had never told him to do that. He just took matters into his own hands. Instead of staying in Bethlehem like God would have wanted him to have done and prayed about the situation and trusted God to provide food there, he went to a pagan land. And when he got there, on the short, in the short term, it looked like everything was going to be fine. Both of his sons ended up getting married. But in the process of time, Elimelech died and both of his boys died. That left Naomi in a foreign land with no husband and no son. She was completely on her own. All she had was the two girls who had married her sons. One of those girls' name was Orpah, and the other girl's name was Ruth. Well, after a while, Naomi said to those girls, Look, girls, I'm going back to Bethlehem. This is Moab's not my home. My family, my friends, my roots are back in Israel, so I'm going back to Bethlehem. But what you girls need to do is to go back to your family, go back to the neighborhood where you're from. You're too young to stay single. Get married, have kids, and just go on with your life like that. Orpah took Naomi's advice. She went back to her roots. But Ruth did not take that advice. Ruth said, Naomi, I'm not going back to my family. I'm not going back to those pagan practices. I'm going with you. And in one of the most well-known verses of the Old Testament, Ruth said to Naomi, where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Ruth made her commitment to God right there. And so Ruth joined Naomi, and these two ladies went back to Bethlehem. Once they got there in the process of time, Ruth, of course, met Boaz. They got married. And as we'll see next week, the story has a very happy ending. But As you think about the meaning of the book of Ruth, that is the obvious story. There is the narrative, but there's more to the book in that. We know that all in the Old Testament, we get glimpses and pictures. We see shadows of Jesus Christ. Now, when we come to the New Testament, Jesus is born in Bethlehem and we can see him clearly. But in the Old Testament, since Jesus is God and since Jesus has has no beginning, he's always been, Jesus, we find, represented or typified in various Old Testament characters and stories, and this book is one of those. But before we think about Jesus in the book of Ruth, let's think about ourselves. Did you know that Ruth, if you look at it metaphorically, if you look at it representatively, Ruth is a picture of us. Think about what we have in common with Ruth. She was born in a pagan land. We were born in sin. She had a tragedy in her life, and as a result, she had nothing good to look forward to. The Bible says our tragedy is the sins that we've committed. And in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 12, it says that when, when a person is without God, they have no hope in this world. Ruth was dependent upon somebody else to help her and to bail her out of that mess. That was Boaz. We are dependent on someone else to help us and bail us out of our mess. And that is the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Ruth, whether you're a man or a woman, if you think about that, symbolically, you can see yourself in Ruth. Well, Boaz is a picture of Jesus. While Ruth is a picture of us, Boaz is a picture of Jesus. Both Boaz and Jesus were born in Bethlehem. Both of them, Boaz and Jesus, were wealthy. Uh, Boaz had great material wealth. Jesus owns everything, and he has certainly great spiritual wealth. And not only that, both of these men were redeemers. Boaz redeemed Ruth. Jesus has redeemed us. And so in the book of Ruth, not only is Boaz a 
godly man, and did, not only did he become a provider for Ruth, but Boaz is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, in Ruth chapter 3, what we find is this. We find Ruth getting closer to Boaz. What Naomi, in essence, said to Ruth was, Ruth, Boaz is part of our extended family. You need to go to him. You need to present yourself to him. And really, what you need to do is ask him to marry you. In our culture, we think about the man asking the woman in marriage. But in this particular instance, and we'll see the verse in a moment, Ruth actually popped the question to Boaz. And so, Naomi in Ruth chapter 3 says, Ruth, go and present yourself to Boaz. And so, all through this chapter, we find Ruth getting closer and closer and closer and closer to Boaz. Now, think about this. If Ruth represents us, and if Boaz represents Jesus, then if we will do what Ruth did, we can become closer to Jesus. And so what we really have in Ruth chapter 3 is a practical way, or several practical ways actually, that we can get closer to Jesus Christ than we have ever been, and that indeed is our greatest need. Now, you might be thinking, well, John, here I am today. I need a job, or I need a miracle, or I need money, or I need healing. Why are you saying that our greatest need is to get closer to God? Our greatest need is spiritual, while all these other things seem so very important. Well, think about this. The reason your greatest need is spiritual is because in Jesus Christ and only in Him do we find the deepest needs of our lives met. Let me give you a verse you might want to write down. In Psalm chapter, or the 16th Psalm, verse number 11, the psalmist said this, talking to God, in your presence is fullness of joy. Let's say that together. In your presence is fullness of joy. The psalmist was saying, God, it is in your presence, in your presence alone, that I find what my soul is looking for. I find joy. I find happiness. I find contentment. I find peace. I find satisfaction. I find security. I find assurance. I find quietness. I find rest. Everything I'm looking for is found in you. In your presence is fullness of joy. And then the psalmist went on to say in that same verse, at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So many times in life we think that pleasures and fun and adventure is found somehow away from God, but just the opposite is true. All those things are found in a right relationship with Jesus Christ. And so the first, person, the first reason that your greatest need is to be rightly related to God is because you're going to be the happiest and you're going to be uh, experiencing life at the fullest if you're right with God. But it's not just about you. When you and I are right with God, we then become a blessing to others. We can minister to them. We can encourage them. We can point them to God. Did you know that your presence, if you're right with God, will help other people to think about God just when they see you. I know some people, anytime I'm around them or anytime I talk to them on the phone or maybe I just see them somewhere and they're a long way off, just seeing that person, thinking about that person makes me think about God. Well, we all want to be that way. And we can be if we are in a right relationship with God. Now, from Ruth chapter 3, we discover four practical steps that we can take that will help us to grow closer to God and to move closer to God just like Ruth moved closer to Boaz. So I want to give you these. You might want to jot them down. First of all, if you want to be close to God, 
Number one, live a clean life. Live a clean life. Sin messes everything up in our relationship with God. Sin separates us from God. And if you and I have sin in our lives, we're not going to be very close to God. In Ruth chapter 3, let's begin reading in verse number 1. Then Naomi, Ruth's mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, shall I not seek security for you, that it may be well with you? Now Boaz, whose young woman you were, you were with, is he not our relative? In fact, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Therefore, and in this third verse, she gives some very specific instructions. She's telling Ruth how to approach Boaz. And the first thing she says is this, wash yourself. In other words, clean yourself up, Ruth. Take a bath. Make yourself presentable to Boaz. Now, as we apply that to our lives and our relationship with God, what that says to us is this. If we're going to be as close to God as we possibly can, I think about that verse in James that says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Well, as we draw near to God, we have to ask for forgiveness and be cleansed of our sins. We know that we don't get saved by cleaning ourselves up and then approaching God and say, God, I'm clean now, would you save me? No, at the point of salvation, he's the one who cleanses us up, forgives us, washes us, and saves us. But I'm not talking right now about salvation. I'm just talking about in the life of a believer, our daily relationship with God, we can't have sin in our lives. So you have to ask yourself this morning, is there any sin in your life right now that has become an impediment between you and God, or that has become a, a, a snare between you and God, or that is driving a wedge between you and God. If there's any sin in your life, a private sin, nobody knows about it but you, a public sin, maybe other people, maybe it's a sin in your attitude, maybe it's a sin in your behavior, but it's some kind of sin, I would encourage you today, stop doing that. Confess that sin to God. Ask God to forgive you and to cleanse you and help you to live a life that would be clean and pure before Him. One of the things I pray every morning, not long after I've been awake, I just begin to pray and ask God to apply the blood of Jesus to any and every sin in my life so that I can begin my day clean. And I have to pray that throughout the day when I sin. Say, God, I'm sorry for that. Forgive me. Cleanse me. Because we know that sin messes us up. So the first step is to live a clean life. The second step, it just flows naturally out of that, and that is to be filled with the Spirit. To be filled with the Spirit. Again, look in verse 3. Naomi said to Ruth, wash yourself. Now watch this next phrase. And anoint yourself. In other words, put some oils on. Put some perfume on. So that when you go present yourself to Boaz, you, you will be pleasing to him. Well, in a similar way today, if we want to get as close to God as possible, not only do we have to be clean but we have to be anointed. We need to be filled with the Spirit. Adrian Rogers, in his comment on this particular chapter, he said it this way. He said, we need to be nice to be near. We need to be nice to be near. In other words, our demeanor, our personality, our lives, we should, we should be pleasant to be around. I think about the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. Now, just listen to these descriptions of what it means to be filled with the Spirit and see if you have these qualities in your life. See if your husband or wife or your children or your parents or your co-workers or your friends, see if they see these qualities in you. Love, joy, peace, patience, 
kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's what it's like to be filled with the Spirit. And that's what it means to be anointed of God. And so in our relationship with God, just like in your life, you have some people that you would rather be around than other people. Now, why is that? Well, more than likely, one of the reasons is the way they are. They're they're positive. They're kind. They're loving. They're redemptive. They're not harsh. They're not combative. They're not finger-pointing. They're not negative. They're not like, well, in, the same, in a similar way, when it comes to God, now God doesn't have favorites. God loves everybody the same. But God does have some people he's closer to than other people. I heard one pastor say it this way. God doesn't have favorites, but he does have intimates. There are some people closer to God than other people. God doesn't love them anymore. But the reason that God is closer to them is because there are things in this person's life that draws them closer to Him. And one of those things is being filled with the Spirit. So first, we want to be cleansed of our sin. And then we want to be filled with the Spirit so that God... Remember, yes, God is God. But in Jesus Christ, God is also a person. And so as a person... God just naturally enjoys being around people who are filled with the Spirit, who are loving and kind and joyful and thankful and grateful. And so we want to make sure that we have anointed ourselves or been anointed by God in that way. Well, our time is up, and we're going to have to stop the sermon right there for today. We'll pick it up there next time when we're together. But let's just kind of wrap up what we've been thinking about today from that amazing story in the book of Ruth in the Old Testament. Remember what I said at the beginning of that sermon, Ruth is a picture of us. She was born in a pagan land. We were born in sin. She she went through a very painful situation in her life. She lost her husband, and as a result of that, she felt like she had no hope for the future. The Bible says that when we are without God, we are without hope. And some of you today feel like that. You can relate to Ruth. You just feel like you've got nothing to look forward to, that you have no hope. And so Ruth really is a picture of us, while Boaz is a picture of Jesus Christ. And so just like Ruth in this passage of Scripture we looked at today moved closer and closer and closer to Boaz, God wants us to move closer and closer and closer to Him. And we do that, first of all, by living a clean life. by making sure that there's no unconfessed and undealt with sin in our lives. We want to keep short accounts with God. When God brings us into our minds, we need to confess that sin, repent of that sin, forsake that sin, and try to live a clean life. And then we need to be filled with the Spirit. Just like we need to be emptied of our sins, we need to be filled with God's Spirit so that the person of Jesus Christ through the indwelling Holy Spirit is completely free to live through us so that His love, His joy, His peace, His patience, His kindness, and all those great attributes that Jesus Christ has so that all of those things can be exhibited and manifested through our lives on a daily basis. And so, having said that, I guess the obvious question as we wrap up the program today is simply this. How close are you to Jesus Christ? Would you say there's ever been a time in your life when you were closer to God than you are right now? Maybe you've drifted. Maybe you've backslidden. Maybe you've gotten away from God. Well, the good news is today you can come back. You can always come back home. Today can be a day of new beginnings for you. And one thing I love about God, He never holds a grudge. He never rubs our sin in our face. Or He never makes us feel guilty about sins that He has forgiven. And today, wherever you may be listening to this program... 
Jesus Christ is standing before you with his arms wide open and he says, come to me and I will forgive you and I will clean you up and I'll give you a new beginning. Others listening today, maybe you've never been saved at all. You don't know Jesus Christ in a personal way. And so that same Jesus stands in front of you today with his arms wide open saying, the person who comes to me, I'll never cast out. I'll receive you. I'll forgive you. I'll save you. I'll make you one of my own. And so today, if you would like to either receive Jesus or come closer to Jesus, just pray this prayer. Say, Lord Jesus, I need you in my life. Please come into my heart. Forgive my sins and make me a Christian. I ask you to save me and I trust you to do it. Others can say, Lord, I was saved long ago, but I've gotten away. I come home today. Please forgive me of my sins. Clean clean my heart up. Clean my life up. Give me a new beginning. And friend, today, if you have come to the Lord to be saved or if you've come back to the Lord to restore your relationship and fellowship with Him, congratulations. Thanks for listening to Peace by Believing today. Have a great week. We'll look forward to being with you next time.